and welcome to ChamberCast, the Billings Chamber of Commerce's podcast. I'm your host, Jack Genoy. The Billings Chamber of Commerce's Ag Celebration Week is coming up this month, January 22nd to 26th, which culminates with our Ag Celebration Banquet on Friday, January 26th. These events are an opportunity to raise awareness and show appreciation for the industry that puts food on the table and makes the largest part of our local and state economies. Ag Celebration Week and Ag Celebration Banquet are proudly presented by the sponsor, Yellowstone Valley Electric Cooperative. Our guests today are Brandon Whitman, the CEO and General Manager of Yellowstone Valley Electric Co-op, and Jennifer Saylor, Director of Marketing at YVEC and this year's Ag Committee Chair. Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having us, Jack. So number one, can you both please just introduce yourselves, um, talk a little bit about what you do and uh, some of your experience with the ag industry and YVEC. After you, dear. I get to go first? Yes, okay. I think my true introduction I th- to agriculture was definitely after starting here. And there was no better place than our board of directors. So it's been enlightening to develop not only relationship with them, but I think to learn um, not only their industry and what they produce, but to me, it's just always an ongoing conversation. I honestly never stopped learning. Okay, well, good answer. As far as ag goes, um, I this is where I'm from. I grew up here. So, I mean, we're, we're headquartered in Huntley, right? And that's kind of the heart of agricultural territory, uh, you know, just, just east of Billings. And again, I grew up here. I, I went, to, went to Huntley Project. That's where I graduated high school. So I've, I've been sort of immersed in agriculture pretty much my whole life. As far as being involved in Yellowstone Valley Electric Co-op, it's an interesting story in itself, but uh, I actually worked summer help here while I went to college. And from there, I went, uh, hired on full-time after I graduated college, uh, worked outside. I was a journeyman lineman, actually, uh, for a few years, and then transitioned inside, did some marketing, and then became the assistant manager in 08 and the CEO in uh, 2012. So I've been doing that ever since. And our board of directors, if you take a look, uh, they're all either directly or indirectly related to agriculture. Several on the board are farmers and ranchers. So that connection has always been there for me. And uh, having them uh, as part of our co-op um, really kind of brings that home, how important ag is to all of us and especially to our co-op. Yeah. Yeah. We did another interview uh, with you last year with one of your board members, Dave Kelsey, who is a longstanding and active member of the Ag Committee. Still one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. I will link that in the show notes for anybody who wants to go back and listen to that. Uh, We'll try not to cover too much of the same ground here, but uh, I always love to hear about what you guys are doing and a little bit more about your specific part of the of the industry. But first, before we get into that, Jennifer, uh, we want to for listeners who might not be familiar with it, talk a little bit about the the role of the Chambers Ag Committee, which you're currently chairing, and start by giving us an overview of yeah what the Ag Committee is, what it does, and specifically uh, the role in Ag Celebration Week. So I think it's evolving over time, but certainly it is to you know educate the membership and then also you know bring the value of the number one industry. Um, I think down on a level where people can actually get to know several several of the committee you know members again producers but also business owners i think it's been fun for myself i think as chair this year because everyone laughs but i do call myself the city mouse and so (laughs) alex our vice chair is the country mouse and so together i think bringing the urban aspect of saying i don't know 
and I want to know. And I think that's where it started when, again, Dave Kelsey, when after I started here, said, hey, would you ever be interested in coming to uh, one of the ag committee meetings? And I said, sure. And little did I know that it would become, honestly, so much a part of my heart um, to understand it, to learn it, but I think to just be a part of it. So again, I wanted to bring a different aspect for the people that maybe think I can't go to that because it's all about ag and I don't either have a direct, you know, um, correlation to it, or I'm not involved with it all the time. I want that misconception to go away because we certainly want people who either didn't grow up with it or only had maybe fourth grade, uh, ag ed, you know, mm-hmm. one time or one exposure. I want them to be able to have multiple times where they can come, they can learn and they can, you know, invest in, not only knowing more about the industry, but I think developing deep relationships, no matter what what type of business you're in. Yeah, I think it can be intimidating for people sometimes who didn't grow up around it because there is that little bit of a cultural divide sometimes and and people can be afraid of asking like, quote unquote, dumb questions. But, you know, from my experience, I think a lot of our members are uh, excited to teach people about what they do. And I think a lot of people understand that it's important that agriculture is important and and are hungry to learn. So I I love what you say about bridging that gap a little bit. It really is one of the most unique relationships I think I have because that is a great word. I mean, I can say without a doubt, uh, you know, just knowing in my former position at a local television station, I had them as clients. So it's very different, but they became friends. And so I think when you get on a different level and you're able to reach over, you know, across the table and say, hey, can you explain that to me? And whether you're in a big setting or, you know, a small setting, I've never one time had anyone say to me, that's a dumb question or look at me, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. it is, I always say it's on our side that we're intimidated and we have that preconceived notion that we're going to be judged for asking the question when in fact they appreciate the question. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more uh, later in the episode about what specifically we're trying to do to accomplish that later this month. But first, uh, there's a lot of connections between ag and energy as as industries as well. They're almost kind of inseparable. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing. Uh, Last year, we talked a lot about your service area and just how much how much of a footprint you're covering and how many people you're serving. But I think to just to reiterate, given the given the topic of this episode, what is that connection between uh, YVEC and the ag industry? Why is it, it why do you feel it's important for those two sectors to work together? Oh, good question. Um, you know, if you take a look at our service territory alone, it, it, it's it's really interesting. So it's sort of a in my mind, it's sort of a tale of two systems. So People ask me all the time, why is your headquarters in Huntley? Well, if you look at our, our footprint, Huntley is exactly the center of our service territory. Uh, so to the west, obviously, we have the city of Billings. A lot of urban development gets a lot of attention. To the east is the rest of our service territory. We go all the way down to the Bighorn River, and, and in a couple of places, we go actually past the Bighorn River. Um, so that is almost all ag country. And it's easy to just pay attention to all that development on the West End and what's going on and, you know, the subdivisions and the new homes and that sort of thing. And to kind of take for granted the eastern part of the system. And it's a challenge for us not to do that. Um, those, those ag members, uh, especially those uh, on the eastern side, th- those, are, those are our founding members. That's how our co-op got started. Um, you know, it was, it was a 
group of ordinary people that got together and decided they needed power on their farms and ranches to be more competitive, um, to be more efficient. And that is truly the beginning of our co-op. And it's the same story across the country. There's 900 electric co-ops across the country. Um, and it's pretty much that story on repeat from coast to coast. And uh, so, again, we, we like to honor that and we don't want to take that for granted. Uh, and, and it's important to us that we just we pause for a little bit and appreciate those members and what they do. And like you said, you know, they're, they're doing a lot for us. You know, even though we may not know exactly everything they do, the food and the fiber part of it is, is extremely important. And, you know, Montana is a big piece of that. Yeah, and it's important to to remember that, you know, even though I, one of the things that we talked about last time was you imagine the amount of service area and the the low density of it by just picturing, you know, you look out over the Montana landscape at night and you see the darkness yes. over a lot of it, the, yes. the lack of light bulbs over <laughs> so much of it. Um, but the a lot of there is still a real need to get power to those places to run center pivots and wells and all that kind of stuff and that's so so critical to farmers and ranchers to be able to operate the way that they they do but it's important to remember also that you know that ag industry being viable the way it is is a really important cornerstone of the rest of our market there's a good chance that a lot of those subdivisions wouldn't be happening if a ag wasn't driving the economy the way it is. No, absolutely. The, the phrase I love to use is there's a lot of dirt between light bulbs. Right. And there is, especially on the eastern side of our system. Um, and, and you're right. You know, there, there's pieces of that system where there's six or eight miles of power line that serve three stock wells. You know, that's, that's not the most profitable endeavor. However, it doesn't matter to us. We want to serve those customers. We, we, we don't worry about profits like other utilities might. We don't worry about the bottom line as much. We don't worry about sending profits off to, you know, faraway places and faraway investors. That's the difference. That's what makes co-ops different. And that's why we still have that strong appreciation for the ag member. Yeah, actually, that's that might be a good thing to just cover a little bit of the basics for somebody who's not as familiar of it. What is a co-op anyway? Yeah, I think I think the the, the uh, I, I like to describe the business structure of a co-op as one of the best kept secrets that that works almost perfectly. Um, so we are governed by a board of directors. It's a seven member board. The difference between us and, and you know, for example, an investor owned utility is every one of our board of directors, every one of our trustees is a member of this co-op. They live here. They're elected by the membership. And so we get the seven member board, they hire a manager and, you know, basically it goes from there. The, the basics are the members have a right to vote. So they, they vote on the governance of this co-op. They, they elect the directors. They can vote on things like bylaw changes for the co-op. And then um, they trust the board of directors, who are also members, to help govern the co-op itself. And then again, like I say, we're not for profit. So when we do turn a profit, and typically we do, we turn that back to the membership in the form of capital credits. So we don't keep that. There's no other investors involved. And that's what makes us different is we have that connection with the member. They own us. They govern us and we have that constant connection with them. And I think that's what really makes us different is we have that working relationship with them constantly. Is it sort of, uh, would you say it's sort of analogous to like a credit union? That very, might be a touchstone. Very much so. Yeah. Credit yeah. unions are considered co-ops. There's lots of examples across, across the country. Um, electric co-ops, like I mentioned, there's 900 of them. There's thousands of co-ops across the country. But I think just because of their prominence, electric co-ops are probably some of the best well-known co-ops in the U.S. Jennifer, do you have anything you want to add there? 
I think too, because member services falls under my department as well. And there's something about being called a member versus a customer. Mm -hmm. And that's where we take pride in that, where our members know us and we know them. And so that's why, you know, again, on our door, it says member services. We are here to serve the members. It's really fun. I mean, if you, if you go shopping or go almost anywhere, they'll come up to me, they'll come up to Jennifer or any of our employees and they want us to know they're a member. They tell us I'm a member. I've been a member this long or that long. It's, it's really neat. That connection is, is uh, undeniable. That's awesome. Providing the energy to thrive is our continued purpose at Yellowstone Valley Electric Cooperative. Our commitment is to invest, adapt, and implement solutions to benefit you, offering rebates on energy-efficient appliances, renewable energy options, and scholarships for continuing education allows us to remain connected to you while providing reliable and efficient power. Visit YVEC.com for more information on your cooperative membership. Yellowstone Valley Electric Cooperative, the energy to thrive. Well, that's a good transition point to another thing I wanted to give you a chance to talk about today, which is all of the community service programs that you have on offer. Uh, talk a, we Again, we talked about this a little bit last year, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you do to reinvest in the communities that you serve. Just happened to have my member service guru with me, so I'll <laughs> let her start that. This is probably my most favorite program that we offer is Operation Roundup. And I think to see it evolve from... I was on the committee and elected on the committee before I became an employee here. And to see how we have literally impacted so many different nonprofit organizations, you know, everywhere from the mammography bus, women would not be able to get a mammogram rurally if, if that was not available to them. Wow. And so for us to make that direct impact to say, yes, you know, there's no reason that you can't go in Huntley, in Warden, anywhere in our service ter territory and get a mammogram. You know, obviously the food pantries are a really big deal and it certainly was through COVID and we did an extension of that and gave more allocation, you know, during that 2020, 2021 and 2022 year. So again, it's deep and we get to know them. So we, when we do a check presentation, we bring Brennan, a trustee, and then we get to know the organization and get a tour too. So it's deeply impactful to me from, you know, everything, like I said, from healthcare, uh, to seniors, to kids. It's been really fun, you know, especially at Christmas time, uh, Sandy McCaffrey that has blankets and bears to be able to hand a child a blanket that's never even received a homemade blanket before and a pillow. I think it's just um, the small things that make a really, really big impact. Yeah. Uh, Operation Roundup itself is just an amazing program um, for a couple of reasons. One, we have about 90% participation in that program among our customers. So when you think about 23,000 meters out there, 90% participation. And again, the average, you know, that they're contributing is just a few cents a month. Uh, so the average member of those, that 90% contributes about $6 a year. But if you take that times 20,000 per month, yeah. all of a sudden the numbers get really big. Yeah. And, and there's, there's just some great things you could do with that kind of funding. And the, the rest of the thing that I really like about Operation Roundup is it's it's community organizations, it's not it's nonprofit and charitables telling us what they need, mm -hmm. and then we contribute to that. So I mean, it's to me, it's just it's it, it is one of the best things we do, along with scholarships and along with you know just lots of different things that we do in the community. We do a lot of volunteering. We actually do in kind work uh, with our crew and our equipment and that sort of thing too. So 
um, there's there's quite a bit we do on that end uh, again to help those communities we serve um, improve themselves. Yeah, that 90% participation rate stat has always really struck me as, you know, that's pretty good evidence that your members see value in what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and it's for an sure. easy one. Like I say, I mean, for, for about $6 a year, they're having a massive impact yeah. on the, and, and the, the rest of that is, is that it all stays right here. It only goes into our service territory. So they're helping themselves a lot. I'd like to, so this is something that I'm always very, very interested in personally, and I think a lot of other people are too. I'd like to just talk a little bit about where the the energy industry is right now and your place in it. You do not uh, directly own any generation capacity, correct? That's correct. You know, we are um, we are a member of a, of a larger GNT, so it, it's it's sort of layered. Um, so we are a member of Central Montana Electric Power Cooperative that's located in Great Falls. There's seven other members that are distribution co-ops just like us. You know, for example, Park Electric out of Livingston is a member of Central Montana just like we are. So there's there's eight of us total. And all of us then become, through our, through our membership at Central, we become members of Basin Electric. And Basin uh, is headquartered in Bismarck, North Dakota. It's a giant, it's one of the biggest co-ops in the country. They have access to uh, about 7,000 megawatts of generation. So very large. And then they are also members of what's known as the Southwestern Power Pool. And so inside of that power pool, there's 95,000 megawatts of generation. So Basin with their 7,000 can buy, sell, uh, or market power um, in and out of that Southwest Power Pool. And we're, we're a piece of that. All told, Basin has 140 distribution members like us. And so we get that giant portfolio that, that makes up Basin Electric. And then we have one other membership, and that's with the Western Area Power Administration, and that's about 15% of our, of our wholesale power, and it's, um, it's all hydro. So between WAPA and Basin, we have a very, very diverse portfolio. And people always say, what, what is it? What, what's it made up of? What, you know, what kind of power do you have? We have a little bit of everything, honestly. We have coal, we have natural gas, we have quite a bit of hydro and quite a bit of wind. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a really interesting mix, a very diverse portfolio, but that that's what makes it very reliable too. So when a member gets their bill every month, what's included in that basically is, uh, your cost to run your organization and, and provide the transmission as well as whatever it costs for you to buy that power out of that pool. Correct? Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So because of our membership in Central, we, we pay a little bit of an administrative fee with, with Central. Central holds those contracts with WAPA and Basin. It, it gets kind of complicated. But, but because of our membership with, with uh, Central, we, we make the purchase there. And basically, you're right. We're, we own some of our own transmission on the eastern side of our system. On the western side of our system, Northwestern Energy is our transmission provider. We pay a tariff to them for some of the wheeling, and then we pay our wholesale power bill. Okay. So how much does that wholesale power bill change from day to day? And how much has it changed over, say, the last five years? Ooh, really good questions. Our actual, our wholesale rates haven't changed a whole lot. Um, the wholesale power bill has gone up just because we've been buying more kilowatt hours um, than in the past because of our growth. Our power bill is made up of two pieces, really. It is demand and energy. So the energy is the kilowatt hours. The demand is the capacity. It's about a 60-40 split. About 60% of our bill is demand and the rest is the energy itself. On average, our power bill is, uh, oh, we're about $22 million a year uh, in wholesale power at our co-op. It's about 55% of our total expenses. And so 
it's it's our biggest expense as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that and makes sense. but it ha- it hasn't fluctuated a lot over the years. I mean, okay. you know, it's been in that twenty million range over the last five years, um, year in and year out. The only reason it's gone up, like I say, is because we've purchased more because of our growth. Okay. I, I'm kind of surprised to hear that because people talk about, you know, the fluctuations in energy markets and all that kind of thing. But uh, but yours is fairly stable. Ours is very stable. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it, again, the, the rate itself hasn't gone up. Um, and being a member of those co-ops is what, uh, what takes that, that fluctuation out of it. Uh, we have some very long-term contracts with both Central, WAPA, and Basin. And those long-term contracts help keep that price from from fluctuating up and down a whole bunch. Another thing that I know you're very proud of is all of the things that you've done to keep costs low for for your members. We are as competitive as we've ever been with our uh, with our retail rates to our members. Um, we are um, especially residentially, uh, we are as it, comparatively speaking pretty cheap. I mean, we we cross over with the local investor owned at a at a at about 600 kilowatt hours a month, which is extremely low usage. And then after that, we're appreciably cheaper for every kilowatt hour uh, that the member uses. And it's the same with our commercial rates too. So yes, very proud of that. We've done a great job controlling uh, expenses and a really good job of, of, of uh, remaining competitive in this area. Jennifer, I'm, I know part of your job is to field questions and uh, complaints from members. What are some of the pain points that are you know, some of the newer things that your members are, are seeing out there, you know, what are some of the things that I guess are, are changing in the, in the energy market that your members should be aware of? So I think ironically, you know, this week, one of the jobs that I have, I think, you know, is to monitor our social pages, right. And any of the conversation that's going on, on pages that we're connected to. And so I brought it into Brandon yesterday talking about a member that you can see if there's an issue on high rates or if they're getting us confused, right, with another company. That our job is to send out, let's use our Rural Montana magazine, for example. We get four pages of content in there to inform our members about if we have raised rates or if there is, you know, incentives on rebates or ways to save on energy efficient appliances no matter what it is, but we're really here for our website, you know, also to inform them, but they're learning more about kind of the true and falses of things. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I had read on this social page where our members in fact responded to this comment on social saying, no, that's not true. This is this company. This is what their rates are versus you're actually saving with Yellowstone Valley electric cooperative mm-hmm. or they're answering their questions for us. So do you have baseboard heat? Like, <laughs> I mean, it really does get down into like granular areas where we almost don't even have to respond anymore because the members are reading and they're informing themselves. That's awesome. You no, know, I, I literally call them some of our brand ambassadors because they are. And so you can tell and, and you know, hats off to Houston for the assessments that he does do because he takes the time where if someone calls and says, hey, I have a high bill. I'm, it's been like this, we can look at the history. So we literally can look at, you know, their meter in real time to say, okay, we're looking back here. Did you have company at this time? Did you change anything? What were your habits like? And so he'll go through all of that with them and then make that time to go out and meet with them. And usually we can find it if it's bad element and water heater. If they do have electric heat and they're just not, you know, using it, if they're plugging space heaters in, there's all kinds of things, right? 
But usually by the time, you know, he ends up leaving, we have made a friend. We have, you know, made a relationship where that's what I got to read. Like I said, you know, two days ago um, from another member. So it was fun. I think one of the main areas of interest among our members, I think among electric consumers themselves is, um, is solar and net metering. I think that's, uh, it's been going on for, for a quite some time. It's, it's relatively, I wouldn't call it new, but it's sort of new to our area and has become a little more popular. Um, and it, it's something that, um, that we do offer here. We have a net metering program. We have a community solar program. It, it's just that, that situation where there's different interests among your membership. Some want solar, some don't care. They just want reliable power. Some just want affordable power. Just try to meet those members where they are and, and uh, you know, try to try to provide the different types of power that that each one of those members is interested in. Yeah, I have a couple of questions I want to ask ju- branching off of that. Uh, either of you feel free to jump in on this. First of all, what is what are some of the ways that the most cost effective ways that you've seen people actually save energy? What are some of those things that a consumer might not think of that can lower their power consumption? Um. Speaking of their their business or their home, um, really, honestly, you, you get a lot of companies that run around and say you have to change your siding, you have to change your windows. That that's super expensive, and to get a return on that investment is is awful tough. Now, mm. I get it. If it's time for your home to have that, it's time. You know, um, but just to do it to try to save on your electric bill is really tough. Uh, the, again, the the return on that investment just takes forever. The easy stuff though is lighting. Um, LEDs, LEDs are amazing. I mean, they're, they, they use a third, the energy of a, of a regular incandescent bulb. They put out more lights, they last longer. So, so lighting's an easy one, I think. Um, and, and then just simple stuff like ceiling cracks and, you know, using caulking and, and that sort of thing. That's a big deal. And then the thermostat itself, you know, not just, not just the thermostat for your, for your home, but the thermostat for your water heater and that sort of thing, just a small adjustment there can make a big difference. That's why we, you know, introduce the smart thermostat rebate, you know, just so I think that it's investing in some of the things over a long period of time that are going to help you be more efficient, but even just reminding people, you know, lower it down when you're not at home. So I think it's just some of those common practices that some people aren't thinking about. Um, you know, if you're able to just set your thermostat lower when you're not there, little tiny things, you know, add up. This is interesting. I've actually heard conflicting things about that. I've heard some people say that it's it's better to lower your thermostat when you're not there, and I've heard other people say it's better to just keep it consistent because it's hard for your furnace to catch up. So, it, so it, re- it really depends on the heat source, honestly. Okay. Um, for things like uh, like a natural gas furnace or or a or a propane furnace, they recover very quickly. Okay, that, that's that's extremely hot heat. But if you have um, if you have a heat pump like a ground source heat pump, it's better just to leave it at that temperature because th- they function differently. The heat pump itself moves massive amount of massive amount of air really slowly through your home or your business. Whereas, um, you know, the, the central air type heating and cooling, it moves it more rapidly. So both of those are true. It just depends on the type of heat. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. The other question I had is how much choice does the average consumer have in who their energy provider is? Right. Cause I know you have different designated service areas, right? Oh, you're looking at me. I can, I can. Yeah. How does that work? So people, I think that's the number one question, right? Where we hear, gosh, I I want to choose you guys or, you know, we want you guys. And I said, well, the answer is technically no, you cannot unless you choose the subdivision where you already know where that provider is. And so 
you know, far out west, that's a lot of our territory, if not all of it, right? And that's our fastest growing area. So long story short, no, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, really, the ones that get to choose are the developers. You know, they, they choose okay. where, where they develop that property or develop that subdivision. However, having said that, there is going to get a little technical here. Sorry, but there is a law on the books in Montana called the Montana Territorial Integrity Act. Okay. And what that says basically is any load, so any service of a half a megawatt or more, so 500 kW or more, it's open for competition. And basically, if, how you figure out who's going to serve it is, is based on who has a line with capacity um, that's closest to serve that load. So you can't have, you know, a line to a security light and say, I'm going to serve that new Walmart right there because that. That obviously that line doesn't have capacity. You got to go back to the to the line, the biggest three phase line or whatever it might be that has the capacity to serve that half a megawatt or bigger. And so there is some competition that way, and not a lot of folks know about that. But that that is that is starting to uh, creep into our area a little bit, especially our service territory on the west end with some new commercial developments. We'll see a little more of that happening in the next few years. Gotcha. You've been working hard over the last several years to, you know, maintain that value proposition for your members. What's next for YBEC? You know, I think two two areas of, of focus, at least for me personally. One is our employees. So it's an internal focus, making sure we have the right people in the right places to continue to serve our members the best we can. Um, if it means adding more employees, we'll do that. We've, we've done quite a bit of that over the last couple of years. We've gone from about 46 employees. We idled along at 46 employees for, oh, geez, probably a good 15 years. And then just recently, we've added quite a few. And now we're at 55. So um, more of that likely if we continue to grow. The other, the other piece to me is always making sure we stay ahead of the growth that we're seeing, um, which means we've got to have capacity to serve, not the load that we might see tomorrow, but the load that we might see 15 or 20 years from now. So uh, a lot of focus externally on our plant itself. Um, we just finished a substation upgrade in Warden, actually in the t for the town of Warden. Um, we'll go further east and we're gonna upgrade a sub down there uh, in, uh, in, in the Custer area. And then we're gonna build a new sub in Park City likely, and then just continue with you know, those sort of upgrades, substations and main, uh, main feeder lines out of those subs, just to make sure we have that capacity and that excellent power quality for our members, not just today, but in the future. To follow up on that a little bit, you know, I've, I'm sure a lot of us have heard that sort of national statistic that the power consumption is going to go up by X amount, specifically within your service area. How much increased demand are you projecting into the future? Ooh, projecting? That's a tough one. Um, we saw a little bit of a drawback lately with, with the economy slowdown, um, but nationally, that increase has been about 4% a year. It doesn't seem like a big number, but you get north of about 2% in the utility industry, and it's a big, it's a big number. So something in the, in the neighborhood of uh, 4% nationally is, you know, we're talking, we're talking uh, tens of, of megawatts, tens of thousands of megawatts. So it, it's, it's a huge number for us. Typically, we're looking at in the neighborhood of about four plus percent growth uh, in our sales annually. Uh, we see that year over year. We're adding, you know, we're going from 300 million uh, to 300, you know, 15 million, you know, in a single year of kilowatt hour sales. But the game changer there is if if something comes in like a light manufacturing or something like that, that that's just a larger, you know, 
a larger industrial style load, that'll that'll change our profile completely. Sure. We have one now, Pacific Steel and Recycling, is a nine megawatt load connected to our system. If we get another one of those, we go from a system that's about 80 megawatts and we add 10% to it. And that's without any residential growth. So something like that comes along. It's a little bit of a curveball, but projection typically is in that about 4% range. Okay. I saw a report from the Bureau of Business and Economic Research, I think I got that right, from the University of Montana, that uh, statewide and nationwide, it, it does not look, uh, if you look at the permits, it does not look like we're building enough generation capacity and enough transmission capacity to meet that projected demand. What are you seeing within your service area on that uh, side? I, I agree with that. And that's coupled with the fact that in certain areas of the country, not just Montana, but you know, th there's a big push to turn everything electric from your car to your to your yard implements and that sort of thing. There, there's a push to make everything electric. And at the same time, we're eliminating certain sources of electricity like, you know, coal or other base load generation. We're trying to get rid of that and then not building transmission at the same time. So we're headed for a crossroads here where we're not going to be able to supply that. The National Energy Reliability Council came out with a statement that said that this winter we could see rolling blackouts in two thirds of the country if we don't make a change. So that's a real issue in our area specifically. I feel good about our power supply. You know, being a member of Basin and, and knowing the size of their portfolio and the power pool that they're in, the capacity that they have, I feel good about it. But going forward nationally, I, I have real concerns. Okay, something that we'll all want to keep an eye on. Yes, for sure. Moving back to the ag side of things, Jennifer, so the, uh, as we said at the top of the episode, the 2023 Ag Celebration Week is the 22nd through the 26th. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of an overview of everything that they can expect to see when that rolls around? This is honestly one of my favorite weeks of the whole year, I think, because it has evolved. You know, it used to be Ag Celebration and maybe, you know, a little bit before, you know, promoting wise, but some good things that came out of COVID were the Ag Celebration Week where we had to do it a little differently and especially, you know, virtually and then also, um, you know, with social. But this week is really fun because I think we're going to do different highlights, especially uh, youth and ag and also adding the FFA silent auction. So there was just some really good brainstorming that came out of it where each you know year we want to highlight and feature Last you know year it was women in ag. This will be youth in ag. So so just some fun things where we can bring everybody together. I think who haven't you know haven't been to the event or really had exposure to it throughout the week. Yeah, and of course, if if anybody is listening that wants to get involved in that or see the some of the stuff that we've got going on, the Links Chambers website is a great place to go for that. And all of our our Facebook page is probably the primary landing page for that. You can see everything that we have going on, culminating, of course, in the banquet. Tickets are on sale on the on the Chambers website as well. And it it's a great event. It's a fantastic dinner and it's a program that's worth going to, whether you're involved in the ag industry or not. I think that that's what's been so exciting is to watch someone who, you know, may invite a colleague or a friend to say, hey, you know, would you like to come to this and sit at our table? And then they walk away. I think the number one objective for me, especially, is that somebody walks away learning something, mm -hmm. um, especially in the ag industry or making a new friend, right? We're, we're always asking, you know, from the committee, invite people. And sometimes, again, that's that whole, I think, urban-rural divide sometimes where they can come together. And I want them to understand, literally, sometimes we say that farm to table, the sweater that you're wearing, making that, you know, connection. When we went to wool growers, it was 
ag tour again. So there's so many things that I think, you know, there's opportunity for people to learn and to have a great day, whether it is a day of ag tour or coming to a night of celebration. There's just so much to be involved in. Yeah. And we'll, yeah. And we'll have great opportunities for, for people to learn throughout the week, fun ways for you to engage online. And yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's one of my favorite things that we do as well. Jennifer, can you give us a little bit of a preview of what people can expect if they attend the Ag Celebration Banquet? Sure. So I think it was exciting when we started planning this year to talk about, you know, not overloading the agenda, certainly highlighting, you know, the youth and then also the FFA silent auction, which will be new, but Jess Arndt, who's going to be our entertainment for the night. And then Christy Clark, director of Montana Department of Agriculture. And we are loving to have Brett McRae from Northern Ag this year. He's going to be so fun. And we just, I think, really want to make sure that every demographic, um, every age group is there and represented well. (laughs) And then rounding out the night with Jam Parker, she is our 2023 Ag Award of Excellence recipient. So it's really fun to be able to honor somebody, to hear from them, and then see how they contributed to Ag. Awesome. Mr. Whitman, you... uh... I don't even know how long uh, YVC has sponsored the Ag Celebration Banquet. It pre- predates my employment at the chamber for sure. I think Every it, year I we've think tried, it actually but it's predates been... my employment too. Yeah. Quite honestly, which <laughs> goes to back quite a ways. Um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 decades now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. Um, uh, why where why do you think that relationship has been so you know mutually beneficial for us and YVC? Um, again, I think. Um, I think it goes back to how we started, you know, way back in 1937, 38, and and the fact that it was really rural members that made this co-op happen. And, you know, and way back then they they formed the Yellowstone Valley Electric Association, which is Yellowstone Valley Electric Co-op today. Um, And I think it's just the opportunity to appreciate that. You know, it wasn't just a rural member, it was farmers and ranchers. They started us. That's why we're here, you know, and that's that's why we continue to do what we do. And then, you know, the fact that the, the chamber has this banquet it's just it's just a perfect fit for us and just like jennifer just said you know the opportunity to educate those that maybe don't know i invited my friend last year from down the street and he came and he he was impressed he didn't realize how connected we were with both rural and urban you know because we live in a subdivision we don't we don't live on our farmer ranch but he was impressed with that connection we have with farmers and ranchers so it's just that opportunity to say thank you to show appreciation and then to honor those that uh that that founded our company yeah what are uh, what are each of you looking forward to the most on this year's agenda? Ooh, putting me on the spot. I I think because of the pancake breakfast, I always fall in love with the kids. Kids to me are yeah. my my favorite audience, and so watching the FFA kids, you know, certainly the spotlights, but it's really fun to see them the night of. Whether they're going around selling fifty fifty, now we get to see what they're making and bid on that. So certainly FFA and and the kids. You know, last year I had a new pair of cowboy boots and I was super excited about wearing those, but they're not new this year. I still have them. I'm still excited to wear them. I just like to listen to those in the ag community and to see what their challenges are. And, you know, they're interestingly, like last year I had a local producer come up to me and want to partner on a certain issue. So that's an opportunity too, right? I mean, to hear what their challenges are, but also to hear what we can do to help them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the thing I'm looking forward to the most personally is just that hour of networking that we have after the event concludes the opportunity to see and talk to people that you don't normally get to see. Um, it's a great opportunity to get close to 600 people that care about this industry in the room together. And magic happens when that happens. 
I think sometimes it sounds cliche, you know, to sit back and watch, but I think because, um, part of that's who I am, but I love watching people connect. And that night Mm -hmm. you can literally sit back and watch friends that haven't seen each other, maybe a whole year. And that's the one night that you literally watch them pull their chairs side by side, hug each other and just catch up and, um, just enjoy a great meal and really, really good, you know, time and camaraderie between people. All right. So before we, before we wrap up, uh, we ask, we like to ask a couple of fun, unprompted questions at the, at the end of the episode. Uh, Zoo, I'm going to put you on the spot with a couple of, uh, a <laughs> couple of little things. Um, this is one that I asked uh, last year and I think it's uh, still relevant. When I think about energy, I think about technology and the future. What are some, you know, bits of technology that give you some optimism about the future? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, when I think technology, I, I immediately, my mind goes to data mining. Um, I don't know why. Well, I know why, because we're starting to get a whole bunch of that in our area. We're, we're starting to see customers come into my, our area, our service territory that, that are interested in data mining. And that's, that's significant load. Like I can think of one right now in Custer, that's a half a megawatt and he's just getting started and it's going to grow from there. So technology wise, I'm not really answering like what's new to technology in the industry, but technology is affecting us that way in that we're seeing some significant commercial load because of it. I think my first thought was about outages. I think I'm proud of really, really proud of our, our team uh, and the way that we can respond because of the technology that they have. And to be able to see that progress over time and be able to respond to, you know, small to large outages because they can see it in real time and get to it quicker. That was my first thought. All right. Here's a question that we pretty much always ask whenever there's an ag related episode. Uh, what's your favorite cut of beef? Mm, uh, I'm going to say a ribeye steak. The, I love, love the, a good ribeye, but um, lately I've been, I've been hooked on fillets. Okay. Yeah. All right. Last but not least. How long have you lived in Montana in the Billings area and what keeps you here? Oh, I've lived here my whole life. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I've lived here my whole (laughs) life. And what keeps me here, um, you know, I have lots, I I travel a lot. Um, I have friends that travel a lot. And I think uh, for the most part, we all agree this is the last best place. So that's what keeps me here. So I've been here for over 20 years, but my favorite story again is when I travel and then I come back, I think it's when you know that the plane is going to be near the rims and that means home to me as blessed as we are to be able to go and to leave Montana. It really is the place that people ask about no matter where you are. So if you're wearing something from Montana, people recognize it. They have so many questions about it, but definitely a place where we say, yes, we're so proud to be from Montana. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. I'm looking forward to Ag Celebration Week and I'll see you both at the banquet. Thanks, Jack. Thank you so much to Brandon and Jennifer for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about anything that we talked about today or get your tickets for the Ag Celebration Banquet, check out billingschamber.com. If you would like to suggest a topic or ask a question, please feel free to email us at podcast at billingschamber.com. If you like what you hear, please rate us on your preferred podcast platform or recommend us to a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to Chambercast wherever you get your podcasts because there is something here for everyone.